All right, how you doing? Was that nice? That was nice. Thanks, Simon. That was nice. Um, I think there might be more worse to come. Just a hint for the unsubtle. Okay, so let's dive in. Uh, series is called Beyond 2020 Vision. We're on part four of 100. <laughs> but sadly, I'll probably stop at around six or seven, I suspect. We could keep going forever. And what we're doing here is we're looking at the picture of what we see when we close our eyes and we dream of what church could be like. Maybe a dream of what heaven will be like. And you know, given the, the kick in the ribs that COVID has given everyone and everything, you know, I reckon this is a timely reminder. You know, I'd say this, it's time to start dreaming again. It is time to remember what we are here for. It's time to press in again to all that God purposes for his church. A quick football analogy, if you'll excuse me. The principle is simple. If, if we forget where the goal is, we start dribbling the ball all over the place or keep passing it back to the keeper and going nowhere. We mustn't lose sight of the goal. We mustn't lose sight of the why. We must keep our eyes fixed on what Jesus has called us to do, perhaps even more significantly, whom Jesus has called us to be. And for me, this just felt like the right time to take a fresh look at all of that. Today, if you look at the banner on my right and your left, we're on the second one, uh, which is Spirit-filled. And uh, the full uh, text goes like this. The church we see is Spirit-filled. It is passionate in worship, where His presence is tangible, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation, where those who are in need receive personal ministry, where services are not religious rituals, but encounters with God. Amen. I would say yes and amen. Let's have more of that. That would certainly get me out of a bed on a Sunday morning if the puppy didn't already. And so there's, there's one thing that, that only grows in me. And that is my awareness of how much I need the Holy Spirit. Remember for a second, going back a week or two, remember the status quo. And I said this, until we are dissatisfied with the status quo, we're unlikely to make the sacrifices required to force the change we need to get us where we want to go. So before we, we unpack Holy Spirit-filled, Let's consider for a second the alternative. I want to contrast spirit-filled and Jamie-filled. You can substitute your own name in there. Here is the verse, Zechariah 4, verse 6. And the, the, the backdrop here is, is the Israelites, the Hebrews coming back out of um, out of uh, slave, no, out of slavery, out of exile. Uh, the city's in ruin, and it's time to rebuild 
the Lord's house. Not an easy process, lots of opposition, as we remember from various writings. But in Zechariah 4, verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. I have tried might and power. And the results were singularly unspectacular. Hence the word of the Lord, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, here's the challenge. We are natural beings. We're living in a natural world, and we're being trained in natural principles. We're bombarded with it day and night. And therefore, we tend to, to default to natural. We tend to default to, to human or ordinary or habitual fleshly habits. We tend to do it our own way. We tend to follow our own agendas. We tend to favor our own ideas. We tend to fall back on our own charm or force of personality. We tend to rely on our own kind of natural, tried and tested talents. We often resort just to good old-fashioned huff and puff to get it done. And so it becomes self-sufficiency rather than God-sufficiency. And this is what the Lord describes in Zechariah 4, verse 6, as might and power. So the challenge for us is this. Have we really embraced, really embraced, what it means to be people of the Spirit? I mean, think back to some of those promises Jesus gave. Luke 24, verse 9, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Picture I have in my mind is a, a, a spiritual mantle, Holy Spirit anointing and power being placed upon our shoulders. Promise in, in John 14, verse 12, that, that, that even greater things than these in his name. Mark 16, verse 17, and these signs shall follow those who believe, the idea that the supernatural, that miraculous signs should follow those of us who are believers in Christ. It's certainly how the early acts of the apostles lived. And you know what, if we, if we want to be a supernatural church, and we're supposed to be a supernatural church, the key is we have to unlearn natural ways and we have to relearn spiritual ways. And as we are all discovering, this is not easy. But here's a key line. Man-made church is not going to change the world. What we're talking about here is, is the difference between well-intentioned and empowered. The difference between earthly and heavenly. The difference between works of the flesh 
and the fruit of the Spirit. The difference between the best we can do, best God can do. Talking about the difference between natural and supernatural, between possible and impossible, between limited and unlimited. We're talking about the difference between human might and power versus the breath and the power and the fire of the spirit of the living God. And there is no contest. So we're going to look this morning at what it means to be a spirit-filled church. We look at it under four subheadings. Four focuses, if you like, of the Holy Spirit-filled church. Four roles that the Holy Spirit should play in church. Four elements of Holy Spirit activity that we should be on the lookout and encouraging. So if we are going to be a Holy Spirit-filled church, there will need to be, here are my four things for today. Number one, connection. Number two, conviction. Number three, compassion. And number four, construction. And you're all looking at that going, that's perfect preaching. Like, all begin with CO. I was expecting round of applause, really, at that point. Actually, I'm not at all, because I believe the Holy Spirit dropped those in my spirit, so I'm taking no credit whatsoever. But it is quite clever. I quite like it. We're going to work our way through that list, if that's okay. About five minutes on each, unless I get carried away. And that'll be your fault, just saying. Okay, so number one is connection. Here's a familiar verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I have to pick that apart, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and be with you all. So spirit-filled church will be full of spirit-filled people. People who are distinguished by their fellowship with the Holy Spirit. People who are endeavouring to walk in step with the Spirit all day long, every day. Connection is about, it's about intimacy of relationship. It's about closeness of walk. It's about the pursuit of oneness. It's about being united with Christ. It's about being engrafted in the vine. It's about abiding in him. In, in our terms there, it's about meeting with him. Meeting with him for encounter and for empowerment. It's about walking with him for, for wisdom and for leadership. And it's about serving him for communion and purpose. So much comes alive when we start serving him. Okay, so in Acts chapter 2, here comes a strong statement. The church was birthed in a baptism of fire. And our intent should be to stay as close to that fire as possible. You know, the difference between church that is cold and church that is lukewarm and church that is hot is its proximity 
to the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a great deal in me that needs to be set on fire, that needs to be ignited, that needs to be impassioned, that needs to be inspired, and certain parts, frankly, just plain incinerated. Thanks, Jane. <laughs> I wrote the line, I'm yesing and amening too, don't worry. So if, if a spirit-filled church needs to be full of spirit-filled of, of spirit people, if revival starts with me, as we sing, how do we as, as individuals foster that connection? Probably a teaching series on its own, but just three quick thoughts. How do we foster that, that communion, that connection, that walk with the Holy Spirit? Very simple. Number one, talk to the Holy Spirit. Talk to him. Talk to him as you would talk to a friend or, or a partner or, or a confidant. Begin, begin a dialogue, walking dialogue. Start, start asking him leading and pressing questions. Increasingly include him in the process. Number one, very simple, just talk to him. Number two, which follows on directly, is intentionally listen. You know, we need to quieten the clamour and all that background noise so we can hear the still, small voice. But we need to make space. Every now and again, we need to press pause. We need to just pray. We need to pray in tongues. We need to worship. And then we need to listen to what he has to say. Listen to what he, he brings to mind. Listen to what he drops in your spirit. So number one is talk to the spirit. Number two is listen to the spirit. And number three is train your discerner. Okay, humor me a little. You know, those, those internal voices, those internal voices of, of conscience, and of intuition, that is the Holy Spirit stirring your human spirit. We need to learn how to read the signals. We need to learn how to recognize, sometimes we call it the nudge, sometimes it's a, it's a tug, or sometimes we call it a check. Kind of the overall description would be the inward witness. And do you know what we need to do? We need to invite him to train us. Invite him to take you on a journey deeper. Number one, connection. Number two is conviction. Acts 2, verse 42, 43, familiar passage. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and then first thessalonians 1 verse 5 our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the holy spirit and with deep conviction you know when the holy spirit is in the room 
there will be a sense of awe. There will be a deep and burning conviction. Why? Because you're in the presence of a holy God. It's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. So conviction is that burning awareness of the presence of God and the power of God and the holiness of God. And conviction is the way the Holy Spirit tugs on your heart to draw you back to him. Conviction is how the Holy Spirit grabs your attention. You feel your your spirit leap as you see something poignant in his word. Conviction is what impels you to fall on your knees in worship at the revelation of his majesty. And it's that, that, that powerful urge to repent when you see your inadequacy in the light of his holiness. You know, one of the, the prominent hallmarks of our corporate gathering should be conviction and awe. Have you ever been in a service? You got there today, actually. Where no one dared move or speak. So strong was his tangible presence. No one wanted to be the person to make the next move because he knew it was his to make. Remember the dedication of, of, of King Solomon's temple. It said that the glory cloud that filled that room was so thick, so, so deep, so strong that the priest couldn't even stand to minister. Sometimes in the presence of God, people fall over. Such is the intensity of the power. I love the line that goes like this. It's not surprising that people fall over. What's surprising is that anyone can stay standing up. Here's the point. When people come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, walls come tumbling down. Frankly, we just tear them off. And then God is able to move. That is the place where the sick start getting healed. And the lost go running to the altar to get saved and and broken people are made whole and captives are released. And that's the place where where the gifts of the Holy Spirit start to flow. The, The prophecy that brings that sense of, wow, God the Lord has spoken. It's the place where where words of knowledge that kind of act as as can openers, catalysts to release the miracle-working, healing, and liberating power of God. Conviction is heaven touching earth. Conviction is the supernatural spilling over into the natural. Conviction is the divine interrupting the human. Number three, third element that should be in the spirit-filled church, and dare I say in spirit-filled people, number three is compassion. To start, I need to contrast uh, compassion and sympathy. And my mind cast back to a message I heard by Bill Johnson, I think it was, about this. I've, I've, I borrowed this from him. Very kind. Oh, Bill's not up there. He's over. Anyway, 
the contrast between compassion and sympathy. It's amazing what goes through your head when you're preaching. Anyway. So anyway, sympathy, sympathy, which is a good thing. Sympathy is a natural response to someone's pain that says, I, I feel sorry for them. Sympathy is a good thing. Compassion, however, is the Holy Spirit stirring within you, seeing that pain and saying, that person needs me and I want to touch them. Sympathy is, is natural. Compassion is supernatural. Sympathy is, is aware of the problem but offers no solution. Compassion is is the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you and bursting to come out. John Osteen called it the, the divine flow. When you, when you feel the love, that's the Holy Spirit wanting to reach out to them with his gifts. A couple of examples of this from, from the Gospels. Number one, a man with leprosy in Mark chapter one fell on Jesus on his knees at Jesus' feet, begging to be healed. Mark 1.41 said, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Notice that, that Jesus was moved. The compassion moved him. It stirred within him and something happened. In fact, in the Gospels, whenever it says that Jesus had compassion on people, they all got healed. Another example, uh, Luke chapter 7, Jesus' party, they, they encountered a funeral procession. And a mom's only son had died, and she was understandably devastated. Luke 7, 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. And the outcome, that young man was stunningly raised from the dead. So what we see here is the compassion was in Jesus' case and should be in ours. Compassion is, is the Holy Spirit trigger that catalyzes the miracle. See, so here's how it works. If it is Holy Spirit birthed, it will overflow with Holy Spirit power. If the Holy Spirit prompts it, he will enable it. Because Holy Spirit seed produces Holy Spirit fruit. So when you respond to that seed of compassion, basically you set the Holy Spirit loose to do what only he can do. And the point is this, if we're truly spirit-filled, then the spirit that fills will be using his compassion to move us. And that compassion will be bubbling and stirring until it bursts out of us and starts touching people and fixing things. Philippians 2 verse 1, is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in his spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? You know, you should hear, you should hear spirit-filled in a believer's words, but you should first see it 
in their eyes. And ultimately, you should see it in their deeds as they, as they respond from tender hearts to the Holy Spirit impulse of compassion. Colossians 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I've still got the picture of that Luke 24, 49 mantle of power. Clothe yourselves with compassion. So spirit-filled will be compassion-moved. Compassion should be a, a mantle that we wear. It should be an anointing that we carry, leading to the release of a manifest power that saves, heals, and delivers. Number four, we're doing, we're doing good. Number four is construction. Here's the verse, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice the pronouns. I, see Jesus, will build my church. So the key question is, you want to be a spirit-filled church, right? The key question is, who is building what? Who drew up the plans? Whose resources are we drawing upon? Because unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And as I said earlier, man-made is not going to change the world. So you might look at the barn from the outside thinking, wouldn't it be nice if, or, or other churches are doing so-and-so, or, or surely any self-respecting church should have fill in the blank. That's fine, but what is God saying? What, what is God building here? What is God calling for here? Lest the Lord build the house, the builders labor in vain. And that's the difference between church that's spirit-filled and, and church that's, that's just well-intentioned with good ideas and, and well done us. We're not going to change the world with well done us. We need the Lord to build the house. We need spirit breathed and spirit led and spirit birthed. And you know, that's what, what we as leaders and staff are continuously asking. God, what would you have us do? And how would you have us do it? Now, with all the options out there, think about it. There's all the different preferences and, and priorities and agendas. Everyone's got those. There are far too many for us to go running after them all. Question is, God, what are you calling forth. In the face, if you like, of all the good ideas, what are the God ideas? Because except the Lord build the house, King James, they labor in vain that build it. You know, just as every 
physical building is different and unique and special in its own way and its own design, each church will be different. And God will fashion it according to its, its context, according to its people, according to its, its DNA. But I'm okay with that. that. That's good news because the reality is if we try to build it, if we try to build it, we'll be ineffective. We'll grow frustrated and we'll become exhausted because our energy and our resources and our abilities are limited. That's what they call dramatic understatement. But the good news is, it's God's church and he is fully invested. We just have to let the Holy Spirit in. We just have to allow the Holy Spirit to build his church, his way, his agenda, his timetable. One, one quick final thought on this one. There's a difference between spirit-filled and spirit-squeezed. There is a difference between a church filled and baptized and abounding and overflowing with the Holy Spirit and in one in which he's being squeezed in almost as an afterthought. No, Lord, here is our great idea. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And Holy Spirit, come. That there's a better order. The better order is Holy Spirit, come. And we will jump on board with whatever it is that you are doing or saying. The point is, if we want our church to be truly spirit-filled, and we do, if we want it to be spirit-touched, if we want it to be spirit-empowered, we need to defer at all times to the master builder. Okay, wrap, wrap all this up. The church we see is spirit-filled. Number one, the church we see is deeply and strongly connected to the Holy Spirit. It's full of people bound tightly and, and walking closely and worshipping intimately and led carefully by the Holy Spirit. Number two, the church we see is characterised by conviction and awe. Don't you love the word awe? So much so, I'm going to say it again. Awe. Good onomatopoeia, I think. And you'll see that conviction, that awe in our praise simply because God is awesome. You'll, you'll see it in our worship because God is present. You'll see it in the message because God is speaking. And you'll see it in the response because God is moving. Number three, the church we see is stirred by the compassion of the Holy Spirit. It's a church with a soft and open and pulsing heart full of people with soft, open and pulsing hearts whose cry is, words in a great song, break my heart for what breaks yours. And fourthly, the church we see is being supernaturally constructed. Holy Spirit is leading. Holy Spirit is calling. The Holy Spirit is driving. We're committed, yes. We're passionate, yes. We're not afraid of hard work, no. But God is the one doing the building. Because unless the Lord builds the house, the 
builders labor in vain. If we want the church of our dreams, if we want a church that's, that's not just well-intentioned, but it is inspired and empowered, if we want a church that, that's not just natural, but supernatural, if we want a church that changes the world, it must be spirit-filled. Amen. Worship team, if you'd like to come front, we're going to pray quickly, and that'll explain how we can respond. It's a very, very simple prayer. Holy Spirit, why don't we stand? Stretch those legs. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you fill your church, your presence, your power, with your glory? Holy Spirit, would you fill your people? Streams of living water bubbling up in the desert. Oh, would you empower us? Would you give us eyes to see and hearts to feel, knees to bow? Holy Spirit, come. Make us spirit-filled. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to worship now. Two, two possible responses. I've got you standing now, haven't I? Oh, well, wiggly toes. You sit down if you need to. Response number one, four C's. Question, which of those four C's, just one probably has the Lord been telling you, needs fresh priority in your life? Good question. Connection, conviction, compassion, construction. Which of those four? Just ask him. Take it to the Lord, see what he has to say.